Hello, and welcome to the Mormon History Podcast. Bonus Episode 11, Latin Church Fathers. Today we will finish up our look at the eight doctors of the Catholic Church, or the early Church Fathers, by examining Ambrose, Jerome, Augustine of Hippo, and Pope Gregory I, or Gregory the Great. Ambrose was born to a Roman Catholic household around 340. He was raised in Gallia, Belgica, modern-day Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, with parts of France and Germany. One of the legends surrounding Ambrose was that when he was a baby, a swarm of bees landed on his face and left behind a drop of honey. His father supposedly saw this and thought it was a sign of the baby's future eloquence and honeyed tongue. Because of this legend, Ambrose is a saint of bees and beekeepers. His father died early and Ambrose went to study literature, law, and rhetoric in Rome. In 372, the Praetorian Prefect made Ambrose governor of Liguria and Emilia in northern Italy, with headquarters at Milan, the capital of the Western Roman Empire. In this region, the Diocese of Milan, there was conflict between Arianism and the Nicene Christians. In 374, the bishop, the Arian Bishop of Milan, died. Ambrose went to the church where the bishop, new bishop was to be elected to quell a possible uproar, as the Arians weren't happy with the man who was to succeed Auxentius. When Ambrose got there, he addressed the crowd. During his speech, people began to call out, Ambrose Bishop. The shouts became chanting. Ambrose, though loyal to the Nicene Creed, didn't hate Arians, and he was acceptable to them due to his charitable nature. But Ambrose didn't want to be a bishop, so he vehemently refused. There was no way he was not qualified. He was neither baptized nor a theologian. The crowd appointed Ambrose bishop, so he ran away and hid in a friend's house. That friend got a letter from the Emperor Gratian, praising Ambrose and his worthiness to be called bishop. That friend gave Ambrose up to the public. Within a week, Ambrose was baptized, ordained, and consecrated the Bishop of Milan. Ambrose adopted an ascetic lifestyle, giving away his money to the poor and donating all of his land. Ambrose became even more powerful than the Western Roman Emperor because of his popularity. Ambrose knew Greek and studied the Old Testament in writings of Philo, Origen, and Athanasius, whom we examined in the last bonus episode. Ambrose also wrote letters to Basil of Caesarea. He became a, such a good preacher that he even impressed the austere Augustine of Hippo. He would use these skills to try to theologically refute the ideas of the Arians. There was a great division in the church, and even among the, even among the leaders of the Roman Empire, with some following Nicene, the Nicene Creed, and others the Arian one. Two Arian bishops, Pallidus and Secundius, asked Emperor Gratian to call for a general council. The, general, the emperor complied, but Ambrose feared that this would give the Arian faction too much power, so he got the emperor to hold the synod of 32 bishops at Aquileia in 381, of which Ambrose was president. Pallidus declined to attend. The bishops voted and the two Arian bishops were deposed. Five years later, however, the emperor Valentinian II, his mother, and a number of clergy and military leaders pledged allegiance to Arianism. They demanded that the two churches in Milan be allocated to the Arians. Ambrose refused. His subordination landed him before a council. 
He waxed so eloquent that the council allowed him to retire without giving up the two churches. The next day he was performing divine service, praying, reciting psalms, etc., when the prefect of the city approached him. The prefect tried to persuade Ambrose to give up at least the basilica and the suburbs of the city. Ambrose stubbornly refused, so the prefect, prefect took it by force. In the face of imperial opposition, Ambrose declared, quote, If you demand my person, I am ready to submit. Carry me to prison or to death. I will not resist, but I will never betray the Church of Christ. I will not call upon the people to succor me. I will die at the foot of the altar rather than desert it. The tumult of the people I will not encourage, but God alone can appease it. End quote. A year later, Emperor Valentinian II again demanded that Ambrose hand over a church in Milan for Arian use, specifically so that Auxentius the Younger could be bishop. Ambrose and his congregation barricaded themselves in the church. Upon seeing what they'd done, the emperor let them keep the church. The emperor and his court did not like Ambrose, but they soon needed him. Magnus Maximus usurped power in Gaul and was getting ready to head for Milan. This emperor sent Ambrose to discourage Max, Magnus Maximus from invading Rome and Milan. Ambrose did so successfully, the first time. The second time was complete and utter failure, and Magnus Maximus marched into Italy and took Milan. Emperor Valentinian and his mother fled the capital, but Ambrose stayed to care for the suffering citizens. Theodosius I, the Eastern Emperor, took in the defeated Western Emperor and his mother. Then Theodosius himself conquered Italy, reuniting the Eastern and Western Roman Empires for the final time. But Ambrose excommunicated Theodosius for his massacre of 7,000 people at Thessalonica in 390, after a group of rioters murdered the Roman governor there. Theodosius tried to be readmitted to the church, but Ambrose made him imitate King David of the Bible and become truly penitent for several months. Only after that ordeal could Theodosius receive the Eucharist. This showed just how powerful bishops could be, even over a strong emperor. Ambrose continued to influence Theodosius, and he saw, saw to enforcing his agenda with the emperor. One of the agendas was against the Jews. He made sure that the emperor didn't show any favoritism towards them, and he preached against intermarriage with them, comparing them to pagans and heretics. Speaking of pagans, Ambrose didn't like them either, and made sure that, their, their, that the emperors didn't rebuild the altar of victory when it was removed by Gratian. The Altar of Victory being a statue in the Roman Senate House established by Octavian in, 90, in 29 BC to commemorate the Battle of Actium. It was an important pagan artifact. Theodosius, a great persecutor of pagans, died in Milan in 395. Ambrose followed him in death two years later in 397. Ambrose wrote many theological texts that defined his era and went on to influence future popes and clergymen. He is traditionally credited with introducing hymns from the Eastern Church to the West. He helped make music a crucial part of church services. He is also thought to have baptized Augustine of Hippo. Jerome, or Eusebius Sophronius Hieronymus, was born in Striden, possibly in modern Croatia or Slovenia, around 347. He wasn't baptized until 360 or 366 when he went to Rome with a friend. In Rome, he learned Latin and some Greek. As an unbaptized Roman student, he did many things you wouldn't imagine a saint would do, including homosexual behavior. Jerome suffered extreme guilt after every instance, according to his own account. On Sundays, perhaps to appease his own conscience, he would visit the sepulchres of martyrs and the apostles in the catacombs. Of these visits, he wrote, quote, 
Often I would find myself entering the, those crypts, deep dug in the earth, with their walls on either side lined with the bodies of the dead, where everything was so dark that it almost seemed as though the psalmist's words were fulfilled. Let them go down quick into hell. Here and there the light, not entering into the windows, but filtering down from above through shafts, relieved the horror of the darkness. But again, as soon as you found yourself cautiously moving forward, the black night closed around, and there came to my mind the line of Virgil. Horror, ubiqui, animos, sumil, upsa, silenta, torrente. On all sides round, horror spread wide. The very silence breathed the terror on my soul. End quote. Jerome, a skeptic at heart, eventually gave in to Christianity and was, was baptized. He made many Christian friends and began to study theology. In 373, he traveled through Thrace and Asia Minor to Antioch and Syria. Two of his companions died, and he, grew, he himself grew very ill. During the winter, he went, while he was sick, he had a vision that told him to devote himself to God. Jerome recovered and, while, and turned to the Bible and theology. After a while, Jerome wanted to become a hermit and he went into the desert in search of peace. He started to learn Hebrew from a converted Jew and wrote many letters to Jewish Christians in Antioch. Around 379, Jerome was ordained by Bishop Paulinus of Antioch. Jerome only agreed to be ordained if he could return to his life of asceticism. Soon after, Jerome went to Constantinople to study under Gregory of Nazianzus, one of our friends from the last bonus episode. He spent two years there, then returned to Rome to act as secretary for Pope Damasus I. In Rome, Jerome helped many elite Roman women become nuns. The Roman clergy did not like this, and when Damasus I died, they accused Jerome of inappropriate relations with a widow, whom he had helped become a nun. Jerome wrote many tracts devoted to women, how they could become consecrated virgins. It was also in Rome, in 382, that he began a revision of the Latin Bible, based on the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. He eventually would move on to Jerusalem, to get a better understanding of Jewish scriptural commentary. By 390, he was translating the Hebrew Bible from its original Hebrew, going against the advice of others, including Augustine of Hippo. He completed the translation by 405. Though Jerome died near Bethlehem in 420, he lives on through the Vulgate and through his commentaries on the scriptures. It was he who compiled what he called the Apocrypha, books from the Septuagint that weren't in the Hebrew Bible, that were considered by him to be non-canonical. Jerome is the second most voluminous writer after Augustine of Hippo in ancient Latin Christianity. In the Catholic Church, he's recognized as the patron saint of translators, librarians, and encyclopedists. Augustine was born in 354 in modern Algeria. He and his family were Berbers, a people of North Africa. They were heavily, heavily Romanized and only spoke Latin at home. His mother, Monica, was a devout Christian, and his father was a pagan who would later convert to his wife's religion right before he died. Augustine never had a good relationship with his father, but he considered his mother a central figure in his upbringing. At age 11, Augustine was sent to school 19 miles from his hometown. According to his confessions, Augustine became acquainted with sin when he and his friends stole fruit, not because they were hungry, but because it was not permitted. He said that he loved the act, not because the fruit was sweet, but because it was stolen. At age 17, Augustine went to Carthage to continue his education in rhetoric. He began to take interest in Manichaeism, a religion based on local Mesopotamian religious movements and Gnosticism. This religion was the main rival to Christianity until Islam came around. 
and it spread from the Roman Empire in the west all the way to China in the east. Augustine, a young man, led a hedonistic lifestyle full of sexual exploits. He uttered a now famous prayer, quote, Grant me chastity and continence, but not yet, end quote. He began an affair with a young woman in Carthage against his mother's wishes. They had a son named Adiodatus in 372, who lived for 16 years. In 385, Augustine ended things with his lover in preparation to marry a 10-year-old heiress. Of course, the legal age of marriage was 12, so he had to wait two years. But before those two years were up, Augustine decided to become a celibate priest. Meanwhile, Augustine was a brilliant student, though he never learned enough Greek to deliver an eloquent oration. Instead, he focused on his mastery of Latin, in which he could deliver an eloquent oration. Augustine taught grammar in his hometown from 373 to 374, when he moved to Carthage, where he could conduct a school of rhetoric for nine years. He wasn't happy there, though. The students were too unruly, and he moved to Rome in 383. He had high expectations and was disappointed with his new Roman students. Through connections with his Manichaean friends, he secured a teaching job in Milan, in the imperial court. He moved to the Roman capital in 384. Soon he found himself leaning towards Christianity. That's when Augustine met Ambrose. Quote, that man of God received me as a father would, and welcomed my coming as a good bishop should. End quote. Ambrose continued, quote, And I began to love him, of course, not at first as a teacher of the truth, for I had entirely despaired of finding truth in, that, in thy church, but as a friendly man. End quote. Ambrose's sermons led Augustine to have faith in Christ. In 386, at the age of 31, Ambrose picked up, Augustine picked up a book about the life of St. Anthony of the Desert. It inspired him. Then, he heard a voice tell him to pick up another book. It was the Bible. He read the first passage he opened to, which was in Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Quote, Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. End quote. This passage of scripture touched his heart and he consented to be baptized the following year with his son. Just a year later, in 388, Augustine wrote on the holiness of the Catholic Church and he returned home to Africa. His mother Monica died in Italy right before they left. Augustine gave all of his money to the poor and turned his family home into a monastery for him and his friends. In 391, Augustine was ordained a priest in Hippo Regius in Algeria. He became a prolific teacher with more than 350 preserved sermons. He became a combatant against Manichaeism, which he abandoned. In 395, he was appointed Bishop of Hippo and became known as Augustine of Hippo and would serve as bishop for 35 years until his death. In 397, he began his autobiography called Confessions. He finished it the next year. His masterpiece, The City of God, was written to console his fellow Christians after Rome fell to the Visigoths in 410. Shortly before Augustine's death in 430, the Vandals, which had converted to Arianism, inv invaded Roman Africa. They besieged Hippo while Augustine was dying of illness. Augustine worked a couple miracles during the siege, including healing a sick man. Augustine spent his final days in prayer and rep repentance. He had the Psalms of David hung on his wall so he could read them from his deathbed. He also directed that the library of the church in Hippo be preserved from the Vandal torches and swords. The Vandals lifted the siege shortly after Augustine died, 
but and but then returned to burn the city down, all save for Augustine's cathedral and library. Augustine was one of the most prolific Latin authors in terms of surviving works, and the list of his works con consists of more than 100 separate, separate titles. They include apologetic works against the heresies of the Arians, Donatists, Manichaeans, and Pelagians, texts on Christian doctrine, notably De Doctrina Christiana on Christian doctrine, exe exe exegetical works such as commentaries on Genesis, the Psalms, and Paul's letter to the Romans, Many sermons and letters, the Retractiones, a review of his earlier works which he had wrote near the end of his life, and of course there are Augustine's most famous works, his Confessions and the City of God. Gregory was born around 540, over a hundred years after the death of Augustine. Rome was in a much poorer state in, four, four, in 540 than it had been prior to its sack in 410. His name is Greek for the Latin word vigilantus, or watchful in English. Gregory's father was a senator and was at one point prefect of the city of Rome. His mother Silvia was also a well-born. Gregory's great-great-grandfather was Pope Felix III, who was nominated by the Gothic king Theodoric the Great. This meant that when Gregory eventually became Pope, he was continuing a great and powerful church dynasty. The ruins of the Colosseum, the Palatine Hill, and the Circus Maximus surrounded Gregory's house. Two years after Gregory's birth, the plague of Justinian swept through the Mediterranean, causing famine, panic, and even riots. In some parts of the land, over one-third of the population was wiped out. The survivors also paid a heavy emotional toll. In 546, when Gregory was six, Totila, the last king of the Ostrogoths, sacked and vacated Rome, destroying much of its population. In 549, the survivors were invited to return, the Gothic to the empty streets of Rome. Most likely, Gregory and his family took refuge in Sicily until their return. The Gothic War ended by 552, and an invasion by the Franks was put down two years later. Finally, there was peace for the first time in a long time. Gregory was well-educated in grammar, rhetoric, science, literature, and law. He seemed to be a prodigy. He became prefect of Rome when he was only 33 years old. When his father died, Gregory turned to his family villa into a monastery dedicated to St. Andrew. He began to live a life of contemplation. But he wasn't a perfect monk. For example, a monk lying on his deathbed confessed to stealing three gold pieces. Gregory forced the monk to die friendless and alone, then threw his body and coins into a manure heap to rot with a curse. Quote, Take your money with you to perdition. End quote. Gregory believed that punishment of sins can begin even on one's deathbed. Of course, Gregory then offered 30 masses in remembrance of that monk to assist his soul before the final judgment. Pope Pelagius II ordained Gregory a deacon to help him deal with a serious schism that would not be settled until long after Gregory's death. In 579, that same pope appointed Gregory as his Apocrisianus, or ambassador to the imperial court in Constantinople. Gregory was among those who were sent to Constantinople to ask the emperor for aid against the Lombards. The emperor was too focused on the east to lend any aid. In 584, Pelagius continued his effort to obtain aid from Constantinople through Gregory. The emperor at the time, named Maurice, 
decided he wasn't going to help, and instead would entice the Franks to do his dirty work for him. No, Maurice had to deal with the Persians in the east, the, and the Avars and Slavs to the north. Gregory began to curry favor with the elite of Constantinople, in hopes of gaining attention from the emperor. His efforts were thwarted with, when the controversy with Eustichius. Eustichius was the patriarch of Constantinople, and he apparently published a treatise saying that the resurrected bodies would not be physical bodies. Gregory took issue with this, and a great dispute broke out. Tiberius II Constantine, the Byzantine emperor, had to act as mediator. He ordered Eustichius's book burned. Both Eustichius and Gregory grew ill, but only Gregory recovered. The former died in 582, as did the emperor. Gregory decided it was time to retire to a monastic life. This life was interrupted when Gregory was elected as pope in 590. He bemoaned his office and contemplated about how much he missed his peaceful life of solitude and prayer. He immediately wrote a letter condemning the ambition to the throne of Peter and praising the monastic life. Gregory took the papacy and ran with it, becoming the first effective pope since Galatius I, over 100 years prior. He re-energized the missionary effort, sending the Gregorian mission north to Britain under Augustine of Canterbury. To learn more about this, this mission, see the regular episode 16, The Early Middle Ages, Christianizing Europe. The mission was successful and the Anglo-Saxons were, were evangelized. This was supposedly due to Gregory's encounter with the pale-skinned English boys at a slave market. He saw the boys and proclaimed, quote, They are not Angles, but angels, end quote. This is, of course, a legend. It was from England that the missionaries were sent from to the Netherlands and Germany. Gregory the Great was known for many things, including revising the pre-Tridentine Mass. The Western Plain Chant, which was standardized in churches in the late 9th century, was named after him. You may have heard of the Gregorian Chant. Gregory remained a humble servant of God and, ma and man, using the, the term Servant of the Servants of God in official documents. When he died, he was immediately declared a saint by popular acclamation. Gregory was known for giving a lot of alms to the poor. He really cared about materially poor as well as the poor in spirit. He wrote in letters, quote, I have frequently charged you to act as my representative to relieve the poor in their distress. I told I told the office of I hold the office of steward to the property of the of the poor. End quote. He gave to the poor in private and in public, personally and in mass. He had his followers do the same. He acted on Christ's admonition to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Instead of waiting for Constantinople to send aid, Gregory rolled up his sleeves and got to work, alongside his clergy to help the poor of Rome, which was being devastated by the Lombard overlords. He then he even ordered church farms to produce food for the starving population. As a result, the people stopped looking to Constantinople as a source of, of authority. Instead, they looked to Rome. From the time of Gregory the Great to the rise of Italian nationalism, the papacy was the most influential presence in Italy. So that's it. These are the lives of the four Latin church fathers. The latter four are of the eight doctors of the church, men who influenced the theology and administration of the Catholic Church. They weren't perfect, but they tried their best, and should be remembered for the great strides they made towards creating a more Christ-like people. Thanks for listening.